Today's episode of Humans in Love is brought to you by my brand new workbook, The Breakup Recovery Workbook, Daily Writing Exercises for Surviving and Eventually Thriving Through the End of a Relationship, which will be available July 8th on Amazon, iBooks, and all other major book retailers. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Hello, friend. After a bit of a hiatus, I'm back with a new episode of Humans in Love. Thank you for joining me today. And as I mentioned in the introduction, I'd like to announce the release of my brand new workbook. It's a workbook aimed at recovering from a breakup and emerging from the breakup even better than you were before. It's based in part on my previous workbook, the Overcoming Jealousy Workbook. And the new book is called The Breakup Recovery Workbook. Daily Writing Exercises for Surviving and Eventually Thriving Through the End of a Relationship. I wrote it based on some of my own personal experience with some difficult breakups, as well as years and years of research. And frankly, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I think that it, it flows quite well. I, I like the structure that I put together. And obviously, I'm enormously biased, but uh, I'm really proud of it. I think it might be my best work. So... If you're going through a breakup, if you know someone who is going through a breakup, I think you might find the book interesting and hopefully useful. I've also created a brand new online course. I've spent most of the past two months holed away in this villa in Bali recording videos and putting together lesson plans and all the rest. It's a really comprehensive online course called the Breakup Recovery Blueprint, and that will also be released next week. And I'll have more to say about that in future episodes. But for now, I'd just like to announce that the Breakup Recovery Workbook is available on Amazon for pre-order. So you can go on Amazon.com, you can search Breakup Recovery Workbook, or you can search for my name, and it'll come right up. So I'm very proud of the book, very proud to announce it, and I hope anyone who's going through a breakup, I hope you find it very helpful. My guest on the podcast today is G.S. Youngblood, Gregory Youngblood. He's an author, American author, who focuses on men's work, men's issues, And his new book is really great. It's called The Masculine in Relationship. And it's a really practical and valuable guide for men on how to have better relationships with women, how to show up for your women, how to enhance and increase the amount of polarity, sexual polarity in your relationship, what women want, what they don't want, what they respond to both in and out of the bedroom, how to structure your relationship to give you the best chances at long-term happiness long-term functionality, and long-term success. I think it's an enormously valuable read, and I was very happy to be able to chat with Gregory. Actually, just a few hours ago, I recorded this, so this is coming out hot off the digital presses. We had a really great conversation digging deeper into his own story, his experiences through breakups and divorce, his experience during the quarantine, and a lot of the ideas in the book. And I think this, this conversation will be particularly valuable for any men in long-term relationships with women who they'd like to keep around. I really think you'll get a lot out of today's episode. 
So I'm not going to do any more preamble because I'm just excited to hit publish and get this out there. Without any further ado, I present to you my conversation with Gregory Youngblood. First off, Gregory, thank you for uh, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, it's good to be here, Zachary. I'm excited. Great. Yeah, and the the first question I have is is I've been asking everyone, not on the topic of the masculine in relationship, but how has this quarantine time been for you, and what have you learned through this weird period that we're all living through? Mm. Well, um, you know, the quarantine actually came at a at an interesting time for me. Um, and I, I'm, I almost hesitate to say this on, on camera as a guy who, who just released a book about relationship, but uh, I had a long-term relationship end uh, at, in January. And the quarantine was, you know, it, I hate to say it, but it was exactly what I needed to force me to go inside and be in this house by myself at, for long periods of time and um, learn to be alone. And so the quarantine's been hard, like it's been on everybody, but it, it had that additional layer for me, which was both a cursing, a curse and a blessing. Wow. Well, that actually, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about that situation, but kind of segues well into, uh, into my next question. So I have a new book and online course coming out this month about breakups. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what has been helping you get through this time, do you think? Yeah, my meditation, breathing, and embodiment practice. And um, I have gone deep on my cushion over the last six months. And, you know, it's, it's again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, including myself, but this is a big part of what I teach men. And in terms of the going into their own masculine core is you've got to have a daily practice of breathing, meditation, and movement. And so to really get forced into a situation where I had to rely on that for myself to, to come out of that dark period, um, was very, I'll, I'll call it fortuitous, I feel like it at the time. Um, but it's really forced me to sit on that meditation cushion a long time and process these things and, uh, and work through them. I've been hearing a lot about embodiment. This word seems to be keep, keep coming up in my conversations with people lately. And I feel like I mostly understand it, but I'd like to understand it better. So what does that word mean to you? And when you talk about embodiment practices, what do you yeah. mean? Yeah, it's a great question because it's really at the, at the core of what um, I think men need to work on in order to, to really build their masculine energy. So we live life and most of us are consuming media, we're consuming information, emails, texts, articles, videos, all the time. And so we're, we're just getting more and more forced into our analytical minds, our information-oriented minds. And unfortunately, those, those information-oriented minds they have a lot of stories and perceptions about the world that actually aren't necessarily accurate. And so when we live in the mind, we tend to become more reactive because we're reacting to all these stories and assumptions and things like that. Embodiment is simply the practice of taking your attention and turning it you know, downwards is what I would say, um, downwards into the body. And really what that means is putting it on physical sensations. And you know, when you have your attention just on the physical sensations of the body, it actually just crowds out all the stories and reactivity and triggers that the mind creates. Um, if you imagine yourself going, I don't know, Zach, are you, are you a skier? Do you like to snowboard or, you know, anything outdoorsy like that? I'm a, I'm a swimmer and I lift weights. There you go. So, you know, when you get out of the pool after you've run 20 laps, like you're not probably in a triggered state. You're not thinking about, you know, this thing that's bothering you from, 
you know, last week or some other emotional issue. You're just in your body. You feel good, you know, and you feel clear and you feel alive. That's what embodiment is. It's practices that bring you down and turn your attention into your physical body. So I actually have my own online course coming out by the end of the summer around specifically designed practices for men to turn that intention, get their attention more down inside their body. And so, you know, when your attention is down in your body, it just, there's no room for the stories, the triggers, all the things that we, we cogitate on uh, in, in our lives. And in that, people are going to experience us as more grounded, uh, to have more stillness, and just to be simply more settled. And they're going to feel that um, when we're in that state. So that's the best way that I would explain what embodiment is. Yeah, and the way you describe that is similar to me when I make music or play guitar or play drums. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like being in your flow state in some ways. Yeah, well, practically, what does that look like for you? Like, are you describing, I mean, I've done several Vipassana retreats. It sounds like what you're describing yeah. is similar to that. It, what practically does this look like for you? Like, what do you do practically to get into your body? Yeah, let me, let me give you, I'll give you one building block exercise that I do. And... Um, so what I teach men is to really, it's to breathe down. So I teach them to go inside, close their eyes, you know, standard meditation practice, and to breathe down into the pelvic floor and to almost use some of the muscles that you would use when you, actually when you, when you defecate, like that pushing action. So you actually combine a breath down into the pelvic floor with that pushing action. And what you're going to feel is, is this expansion, this feeling of expansion down in your pelvic area just tuning into that feeling of expansion um, is a physical sensation that you can now lock your attention onto. And so I really teach them to breathe down, ground into the earth. They squeeze the perineum, which is the, the PC muscle, let it go, and then release with the out breath and the crown of the head floats up to the sky. And so that's a cycle that I teach them. And so you can feel every step of that is very physicalized. It's not just the breathing, but there's actually musculature, things that you're, you're doing, contracting, releasing. Um, and then I teach them to feel what I call gravity points, which are the, the, uh, the, the, the weight of the feet on the ground and the butt on the seat. And then I teach them to tune into those physical sensations. And so I'm giving you the short version, but that, that's a whole practice that we do. And that's, the, that's kind of the foundational practice. And so what you see is now you have these different physical sensations that you're tuning into. And while you're tuning into those, you're not, you're not thinking. You're actually, all your attention is consumed by these physical sensations. So that's the most building block practice that I do with men, just to start them off. And then everything from that is, is much more advanced, but that's the most basic format. It's interesting because I, I do some... Um some yoga poses and some energy practices where you're focusing on that area of the perineum, but you're bringing the energy up. And I find that really like uh, powerful and really invigorating. I've never focused on one where you're pushing down. That seems like it could be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because different styles will, will do, you know, put the energy up, put the energy down. You know, honestly, for me, it doesn't matter. Really what you're doing is just, you're giving yourself something to put your attention on. So if it goes up, down or sideways, it doesn't really matter. The point is you don't have your attention in your thinking mind. And that's really the core that spans across all the different styles of those practices that I've experienced. So I want to get into the book and I have, I have highlighted a bunch of quotes and different ideas that I want to dig deeper into. Before all that, I'd really like to know how you ended up here on my computer screen today. Like where did your interest in men's work come from? How did you get into this kind of work? 
Yeah. Um, devastating divorce 11 years ago. Okay. Uh, motivated me to, you know, failure, failure is your fuel sometimes, you know, catastrophe is the thing that makes you grow. And, and I got my fair share of it back then. And I knew that there was a better way. Um, I knew that there was a way to be more in my power. And I, at that time, I just, I didn't know how to do that. So got involved with David Data, just like I know you've, you've got some experience with him as well. Uh, and that was 10 years ago. And then was in relationship for seven or eight years with a woman who was also into that work. And so I had this real life laboratory of, of trying, you know, what worked, what opened her, what didn't open her um, in real time, in a real long term relationship. And, uh, and then since then, I've been studying with one of David's, you know, primary students um, and uh, have really gone deep into the men's work over the last, you know, nine years. And that, you know, somewhere along the, that way, I started to take notes for myself. And after a few years of taking notes, I had enough of them that I thought, you know, wow, I could organize this and, and put it together in a book. And, uh, and over time, it just took, took more and more shape. And then uh, late last year, I was able to, to finally publish it. And for me, my goal is to uh, have men not make I did. You know, if they can learn from the, the wrong turns that I took, from the learnings that I gained over that time, and really save their relationship, particularly if kids are involved, um, then I'll feel very satisfied in, in the work I'm doing. If, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to come back to this. Um, you mentioned your divorce. I, I've seen a lot of people go through pretty devastating divorces. You know, if you could just talk a little bit about more, a bit more about that time, and maybe outline again, like what, what got you through that time? What's helped you start making progress and rebuilding your life again? It was a pretty horrible time for me. Um, I had what uh, you've probably heard, you've probably heard the phrase one-itis, you know, thinking that this person who no longer wanted to be with me was the one. And then my, I didn't have an identity separate from that. My identity was couched in her approval of me. And, you know, I know, most men can empathize with that, you know, even in some small way. And so I think one of the biggest shifts I made was I developed my own identity separate from a woman in my life, separate from that woman and separate from any other woman necessarily, where I know who I was and what I needed and what I was about separate from the person I was with. And that was one of the most powerful, I think, transformations I went through. Um, I learned I had emotions and to quit hiding them. I learned to make, you know, make friends with those emotions and learn how to do the dance with them uh, and learn how to express them in a way that's not, it's not new agey wimp. You know, it's not like you wear them on your sleeve all the time. It's actually a very um, conscious way of, expre of experiencing and express expressing my emotions. So that was part two. And um, yeah, I just, I learned, um, I'm trying to put words to it, but um, how to assert myself over others in, in a loving way, you know, and really that, that played into bringing more of a dominant energy into the relationship, not a domineering energy, that's very different, but um, dominant in the sense of uh, on the lighter side, you know, really setting direction for the relationship where necessary and providing structure for that relationship, which is something you'll, you'll recognize from the book. But then also, you know, in the bedroom, even more playful situations of bringing more of that dominant, darker energy, um, which can bring a lot of, uh, you know, edge and interest, interestingness to the bedroom. 
So it's really that whole gamut. I did not have that in my in my marriage. I tell you that, and it, and it took me a while and a lot of experiences and resources to develop that over the last ten years. Were you a, a nice guy in the vein of? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Nice guy. So giving away my power, giving up on my needs and then angry underneath about the whole damn thing. Yeah. Did you read No More Mr. Nice Guy at that time? <laughs> I did. Yeah. And, and Robert's a good friend, too. Yeah, um, we're, we're speaking today. He was the one who emailed me. About oh, it. he introduced us. OK. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did. And it, and it like most guys, it resonated for me as well. Great. Well, let's get into the book then. If you could provide, like, I'd like to ask you, like, what's your thesis? If you could provide, like, what is the message of your book? What is the, the thesis you're trying to prove? If you had to suggest a thesis for the masculine in relationship, what would that be? Yeah, it's that, um, you know, quote unquote, being more in your masculine doesn't have to be a mystery. There's actually a template for what, at least what I think that means that any man can implement in their life. You don't have to be taller. You don't have to be tougher. You don't have to be richer, smarter, or better looking. Any man could implement this blueprint. And the blueprint still fits for the modern world. This is not about, you know, pick up your balls and, t you know, and dominate everybody and you're the alpha male. This is, this is not about that. This is what is masculine power. And it doesn't take any away, anything away from your strong woman and the power that she can bring, the leadership she can bring. It's, how, you know, it's really about coexisting, but I don't think it gives up. It doesn't give up an inch of one's own masculine power. It just allows for your woman to have her power as well. So it's, it, I think it's a model and a template that works in the modern world. It's not like we're rewinding back to 1950 here. On that note, you know, I've, I've spoken to other men involved in men's work and people around sex and sexuality. And obviously this is a big interest of mine as well. And one thing that I wonder about is, you know, it's a, it's, it's a particularly precarious cultural moment we're living through with yes. you know, two and and a lot of women feel, feeling understandably angry at a lot of men, and there's a lot of miscommunication between the sexes, a lot of uh, outright distortions of truth and misinterpretations of anything regarding sex and sexuality. When you throw out the word dominant, I know what you mean, but a lot of people might not and take that the wrong way and run with it and try to cancel you on social media. Did any of this enter your thinking before you started writing this book? And you know, this this consciousness that, we're, we're in a really kind of delicate period when it comes to speaking publicly about, about these things. Absolutely thought about it. Cause I know what a dangerous, uh, you know, what a dangerous world it is out there, particularly on social media, as you said. So it's tricky territory. I, you know, I, I accepted it as an occupational hazard as do anybody, you know, anybody else in this field also. And, um, you know, I, 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 how would I say it? I'm fueled by the validation I'm getting from so many women that are writing me and saying, thank you. Thank you. How do I get my husband to read this? You know, you, I can't believe you understand us so well. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm wary of the danger, but I'm also fueled by the validation that I'm getting from so many women. And I think I've written it in a way that, that again, as I said before, it doesn't take away from a woman's power and capability. Um, but I'm cognizant of it and, uh, you know, I'm sensitive to it. I mean, here's the thing. We've earned that reputation in some ways. And I say we, not as an individual man, but collectively, you know. And one of the things that I'm actually getting more tuned into and I'm starting to teach my clients is, you know, your woman, when she's angry, sometimes 
she's seeing every single hurt that every man in her life, including her father, you know, sort of inflicted on her and she's projecting it right onto you. And you can either choose to back off and say, you know, forget that man, you know, like that has nothing to do with me. Why are you blaming me for that? Or you can choose to um, accept it that the feminine is going to project every hurt that she's ever had from the masculine onto you. And if you could still stand strong and hold space for that, like that makes you a very powerful man. And that's a role that I'm encouraging my clients to accept. That's a role that I'm, that I'm working on myself to accept in, you know, in my next uh, relationship. One thing I really liked and that got my attention immediately about your book is you include the, the qualifier strong woman in the subtitle of the book. What, yeah. is that like a conscious, deliberate, obviously it was oh, deliberate. But absolutely. The, the inside joke is, the inside joke is that like every woman is strong these days, or at least most of them are. Um, but really that came out of, I was inspired. So I've been in, in uh, men's groups for a number of years and the number of men who were coming to the group saying, you know, Oh my gosh, my, my woman is, she's just strong. Like she's always a step ahead of me. I don't know what to do. And I feel like I can't step into my own power because you know, like I said, she's always one step ahead of me. And these guys were suffering. They were really suffering and their women were suffering too. And so what I realized is there's a whole, you know, there's a whole um, category of, of relationships now uh, with men that want to be in their power, but their women are, are really strong and it's tough. And that was, that was the woman I was married to. And she, she was and is a very strong woman. And I didn't know what to do with it at the time. So it was a little bit inspired by some of these guys that I was seeing. You know, they want to be in their power. They don't know how. And with this masculine blueprint that I've written about, I, I hope I'm giving them that template that they can start to live and start to find some of their own power in these relationships with strong women. So in the book, you talk about the three primary elements of a masculine core, and you list mm -hmm. them respond versus react, provide structure, create safety. Yeah. And I'd like to get into them one by one, if you don't mind. And, and the first question I'll ask is, what's the difference between responding and reacting? Yeah, reacting is unconscious it's the way that you're dealing with the world is unconscious it comes out of uh your wounds your triggers it's driven by anxiety or or more specifically driven by the desire to make the anxiety stop so if your woman's upset with you like that's anxiety producing for most men you know and so we'll do anything unconsciously to make it stop so we'll withdraw we'll leave the conversation that'll make it stop because now i don't have to hear you anymore um, We'll sit stony-faced where I might be physically there, but I'm just not, I'm no longer receiving you. Um, so I can numb out to the pain. Um, the, the biggest one is, is defensiveness. So you're upset with me and I figure, well, if I can just change your mind about the facts, you'll stop being upset with me. And if you stop being upset with me, then I'll stop feeling this anxiety. And of course, it's never conscious, it's all subconscious. But, you know, those are all examples of reactive behavior to make the anxiety stop. You know, and the responsive man is one that he, you know, the way that he uh, deals with the world is out of choice. You know, the attack from the woman comes, he, he's got the wherewithal, the groundedness to absorb it. And then he can say, okay, I choose to respond in this way. And it might be, you know, he might respond with empathy. He might respond with uh, curiosity or he might respond with a boundary. It's not all about giving. He might say, you know what? Actually, baby, I love you, but that's not okay. 
And so when you're in a more, you have that more responsive quality of groundedness and stillness, you're going to have the capacity to do that. And, and quite frankly, that groundedness and stillness, people can feel that, you know, you, the minute you meet somebody, you can feel whether they have that or not, or, or to what degree they do. And that's attractive to women, you know, because your stillness actually transmits to them and relaxes their nervous system. Whereas if you're kind of anxiety prone and reactive, like she's absorbing all that and getting just as reactive back to you. So it's a really core quality for a man. And in the book I have, there's three chapters on, on you know, how to develop that capacity. So number one is um, recognizing that most of, the, most of those types of behaviors come when you're in a state of threat. And so I go into what, is, what does being in a state of threat mean and what does it look like and what does it cause you to do? That's one. Two, there's a chapter on emotions and having a different relationship with your emotions. Um, I know that knowing your emotions is kind of cliche these days for, for men, but I, I try to take a very masculine lens on, on how to be with your emotions. And then the third one is what we already talked about is embodiment practices. Like that's the number one way to get a grounded, still foundation um, for, for how you are in the world. So all of that is, is wrapped up in the section on respond versus react. And I'll, I'll just pause there for a second because I know I've talked a lot. No, totally okay. And I want to come back to threat later because I, I had some questions about that. Uh, but the second element of the masculine core is probably the simplest, at least in my estimation, but I think it's worth unpacking a bit. Um, provide structure. So yeah. what does that mean to you? Yeah, this is the quality of, of uh, a man with clarity, who's decisive, who can really bring uh, forward progress in the relationship. So what, whatever that ends up meaning, if it's just the day-to-day -day choices of where are we going to dinner, you know, that, this kind of guy doesn't say, hey, babe, where do you want to go to dinner? And she says, I don't know. Where do you want to go? And he says, I don't care. You know, it's just, it's not the, you know, sort of a limp noodle conversation like that. You know, a guy who's setting direction, even in this simple example, is going to have already chosen three restaurants, looked up if they had uh, reservations available, and then said, hey, babe, I've got these three choices. You know, which one of these three is interesting to you? And so, again, it's a simplistic example, but that's a man that's taking, he's taking the, uh, all of the wide open uncertainness of the universe and really simplifying it down to a few set of choices from which she can choose. And, and by doing that, you've simplified her life. You've alleviated her from having to go into that decision-making uh, uh, role, which then brings her into her masculine energy. Then you've got two people in that masculine energy. Um, so set in direction is simply, you know, you don't have to make all the decisions, but you facilitate decisions getting made. Um, in the bedroom, that could also, you know, have its own manifestation where you're really taking charge. You're not sort of waiting for her to, uh, you know, feel sexual one night and, the, and, and then be open to it. You might actually lead her into that. And so you, you, you might run a bath for her and say, baby, get in the bath. And then while she's doing that, you set up the, all of the, the, the lighting, the candles, and the temperature uh, in, the, in the bedroom. And so you're creating an environment where she might, you might lead her into her sexuality. You know, that's where you're setting direction in the relationship. The last example I'll give is, is when you fight. You know, guys, we tend to kind of like shut down when there's a big fight and wait for the whole thing to blow over. And setting direction and, and bringing leadership means not doing that. What it means is like, you know what? I don't like us being in this, I don't like us fighting and I don't like us shutting down to each other where now we're not talking and we're going to sleep angry. 
and you make the choice, I'm actually going to lead us out of this. And you might say, baby, you know what? Let's go. Let's each take a walk around the block separately and come back in 20 minutes and try this again. You know, like you're setting some kind of structure for how the fight is so that you don't just wallow in, you know, the mutual cold shoulder. That's another way to set direction in the relationship and one that's very powerful. And, and it starts with you saying, you know what, I'm not going to allow us to just stay in this state. I'm going to lead us out of this. I'm going to set the direction in this situation. So that's, that's a quick overview of uh, what provide structure looks like. Well, that's great. I like those examples a lot. And finally, create safety. So beyond the physical, beyond the fact that generally speaking, you know, we have more upper body strength and we're, you know, we're the ones who go downstairs if we hear a strange noise in the house at night. Aside from the physical aspect of safety, what do you mean? Yeah, there's, there's, so there's physical, as you said, financial and emotional. And I don't want to talk about financial and physical in this book. I'll probably save that for the sequel. But um, I do talk about emotional safety a lot. And, you know, you know this, Zachary, and, and a lot of guys know this. You know, the, the, the feminine is more chaotic emotionally. And she's going to bring you that chaos. And as I said before, you know, if you're reactive, you're going to do things like withdraw. You're going to do things like get defensive and whatnot. And so that's going to make her feel emotionally unsafe. She's going to feel like she can't bring you her messiness, um, uh, you know, just as it is because you're having these sort of adverse reactions when she does. And that makes her feel emotionally unsafe. And eventually she'll stop doing that. But what she's really doing is she's shut down to you. And um, so that's one thing that when you don't take, when you don't create space for her emotional chaos, that makes her feel unsafe. When you don't validate her feelings, you know, you try to talk her out of her feelings or tell her she's wrong, um, that's something that makes her feel unsafe. When you don't keep your word, you know, you say you'll do something and then you end up not doing it. That makes her feel emotionally unsafe. And my experience and the experience of most men I know is safety is the number one thing that opens her heart to you and opens her body to you. And without that, both of them start to close down, you know, progressively. And, and so the, that this whole third element is about how do you create safety? And, and, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, how do you respond to emotional chaos? Well, Empathy is the number one way to do it. You don't have to do anything other than feel what she's feeling. And it's amazing how well this works. You know, I've, I've had situations with myself and friends where, you know, we're saying all the right things and the woman just looks at us and says, I can't feel you. Whereas with, we're, if we're actually empathizing, if we're actually feeling what she's feeling and she can feel that, it's amazing how quickly it diffuses situations. I, I, it's happened to me time and time again, as, as well as friends and clients as well. So, you know, this third element is all around the techniques for creating emotional safety. So there's, a, there's a great chapter, chapter 14, about different ways to deal with, you know, the emotional chaos of a woman. Um, and then I, I finished that whole chapter off with, with what it means to go into your own heart, because, when you inhabit your own heart and your woman can feel that, she feels incredibly safe because she can feel you. She can feel uh, that she can reach you, that you're permeable. And she feels that softness of you being in your heart. And I'm finding that's the number one thing that, that really tames the rage of the feminine is actually when I'm in my own heart. And it was counterintuitive. I thought, I thought being in your masculine was about getting tougher, stronger, more powerful uh, being in your heart actually uh, is one of the most powerful things, although counterintuitively, uh, one of the most powerful things that I've experienced in, in terms of the masculine-feminine dynamic. Hmm. 
As I was reading, I was trying to pick out certain sentences and phrases that jumped out to me and that might be more likely to be misinterpreted by people. Mm-hmm. One of the sentences jumped, really jumped out at me. Quote, there's one absolutely foundational point you must remember about conflict with a woman. Whether or not you are the problem in this dynamic, you are the solution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought that was great. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I can. Uh, I love that you picked that out, Zachary. Um, we men, we tend to blame. You know, it's just human nature. But she's kind of acting a little weird, going a little crazy. And so we'll say, oh, you know, that's just the feminine being crazy again. And we put the, that C label on them, you know, crazy. And it's, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. Uh, save that for a separate discussion. It's lazy. You know, it's lazy because it's just dismissing her. It's kind of putting her in a box. And it's, and it's, you know, sort of letting yourself off the hook for anything you need to do to, um, to help alleviate the situation. And the problem is that never goes anywhere, you know. If you're not motivated to leave the two of you out of this space, if you just want to blame it on her and her crazy, then you're never going to get anywhere. You're not going to be a masculine leader in the relationship. So what I encourage guys is like, quit trying to figure out who's the problem here and who started this. Just tell yourself, I'm the solution. I don't care. I don't care why we're fighting. And if it's me being silly or you being silly, I'm going to lead us out of this. Now, how am I going to do that? So it's a mindset that I really want men to take on. It, it doesn't mean they take the blame for everything. It's not that at all. It's just that you just put blame aside. And it becomes irrelevant. And you say, okay, how can I lead us out of this, no matter how we got here? So it's a mindset I'm really encouraging men to take on. What's that quote? Like, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Something yeah. like that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coming back to threat, because I wanted to mention that, another, another quote that, um, that jumped out at me. Threat is the central issue with which you need to deal relative to developing masculine core. Nearly all non-masculine behaviors are rooted in one thing, threat. Yeah, so being in a state of threat is when you sense, and it's, it's often subconsciously, so don't think that you're consciously thinking this, but when your subconscious senses something important to you is being threatened. And usually that something is acceptance, you know, like I'm accepted or I'm validated or I'm approved of. So you, you you know, if anything, if a situation arises where that's somehow threatened, where you think you won't be uh, approved of, you won't be accepted, you won't be loved, um, then you basically go into fight or fight at that point because it's so intense. And you, and you go, the anxiety starts to rise and your subconscious will do anything to make that anxiety stop. So let me give examples for that. So you're in a fight with your woman and you become the nice guy and there's something you're wanting and there's a fight that's precipitated because of it, she's starting to get angrier and you, and you just give up on your needs. Like, oh, it's fine, baby, I don't need that, you know? And you just give up on your needs. Okay, why did you give up on your needs? Because when she got angry, you start to feel like her disapproval is starting to arise. That creates anxiety into you and you want to make it stop. And so you just give up on your needs. You give in, basically. And, that, she, and then she gets what she wants and you think that she'll stop being angry and then you can stop feeling threatened. Um, same thing would be even in a different situation if you're in a negotiation, you know, and, and you're saying, well, it needs to be 125 and the other person's like, no, it's 75,000. Um, and they're about, you think they're about to walk away from the table and, and that, that puts you in a state of threat because you think the negotiations will break down. 
So you give in. Okay, fine, 75. And you just, you give in. Well, we do the same thing in relationships, particularly when you're, in, with, when you're a nice guy. Um, and so that same, it's the same dynamic that plays out in, within, between men and women, um, where you go into a state of threat and that's where the non-masculine behaviors happen. That's when you, you get reactive. That's when you become a nice guy. That's when you um, get defensive. That's when you, you get butthurt, basically. Um, it's, it's all those things come out of that subconscious desire to make the anxiety stop. And it affects every one of us. Like, I've been doing this work for a while. I know you have as well. And, you know, I can remember when this breakup was happening, I was in a, there was one moment I can remember I was in a state of threat. And I think I got a little defensive. Actually, I think I got a lot defensive on something, you know, about six months ago. And it doesn't matter how developed you are. The minute you go into a state of threat, you're hosed. And so you've got to find ways to settle your nervous system, bring yourself out of that. And um, any man will fall prey to it. And that's where the embodiment comes in. You know, the embodiment exercises over time will start to settle your nervous system. So it's, it takes a lot more to get you into that state of threat. And, you know, for me, it took the end of a, of a pretty long relationship to get me to that point because I'm, I'm pretty far along in my practice. But it, it was enough that it put me into a state of threat and it affected my behavior. And I wasn't in that moment, I can recall, I wasn't fully in the masculine power that I wanted to be in. And that's life. Yeah. You mentioned you've been doing this, this work for a while and, and I have as well. I mean, I read The, the Way to Spear Man when I was, I think I was 18 and I just glommed on to, you know, and so I've, I've had access to a lot of these tools and ideas and practices for a long time. But don't you find that I've, for me consistently throughout my adult life, every time I start getting a little bit of ego with like, oh, I'm, I'm a conscious man and I, I know the feminine and I can do all this stuff. Every single time that happens, like a woman will come along and just kick my ass <laughs> or, or my girlfriend or whoever. It's like, I'll, or I'll counter a scenario that just forces me to level up and forces me to shed whatever ego I'm dealing with, and, you know, approach things as a beginner again. Oh my God. I could not agree with you more. Yeah. There's, there's feminine out there that will destroy every one of us. And, um, it is what it is. Yeah. Do you have like another 10, 10 minutes or so? I do. Great. You mentioned, uh, financial safety and I, I wanted to come back to this point because I found that really intriguing that you created that because, or that you uh, included that rather because in 2020, again, this is maybe a politically incorrect idea to throw around. So, if you could talk a little bit about creating financial safety for your woman and why that's important. Yeah, I think we have to acknowledge the obvious that um, a lot of women make as much or more than men sometimes. So there's, there's no, um, in, this is my worldview, but in my worldview, there's no uh, requirement that you make more than her. Now, actually, I should comment on that. Actually, I'm going to put that aside. Let's come back to that in a second when she makes more. But there's no requirement that you make more or you're the only breadwinner. But unless you've got a unique arrangement, like maybe you've just, you've agreed to stay home with the kids while she works, like that's a unique arrangement. But absent that, you know, if you're a guy who's not providing anything for the couple, you know, um, if you're a guy that is, you know, chasing every cool idea he had or some little, you know, pre-series A startup and is consistently thinks he's doing cool things, but he's still not bringing home the bacon, that's going to affect your polarity. That's going to affect uh, the things between you. There's just no getting around it. And so, you know, number one, it's like you've got to produce. You know, I have a, I have a friend who um, he's an aspiring film producer, 
as well as men's coach. And quite frankly, he's not making much money at both. His wife is just repeatedly saying, what's your plan, man? You know, she loves him, but she's, she says, what's your plan? And, you know, being a film producer, he's doing indie projects. It's super cool. He's working with men. It's great, but he's not making a ton of money from it and it's affecting his relationship. And so I think just number one, in my worldview, like you've got to produce in some way. It doesn't necessarily have to be financial. I mean, you might be doing amazing charity work and, and that can actually suffice, but in some way you've got to be producing goodness in the world or financial goodness in the, in the relationship. Um, you also have to make good decisions, you know, so let's say that you're a couple and you go and bet all your money on Bitcoin and you didn't tell her. And then Bitcoin goes down 45% or 145%, you know, that's not responsible behavior. That's not a provider. That's somebody who's a speculator and a risk taker and a gambler. And cool, you can, you can win big, but you can also lose big. And she's going to lose trust in you when you do that. And so you've really got to also have this sense of responsibility. So it's, it's like production and responsibility have to be factored into how you, you know, how you're providing at least your half of the coin. Um, the other thing I'll say is that if she makes more than you, which is, which is totally possible, it's kind of like having a woman that's taller than you. You can't get around that, but um, you have to become energetically bigger. You know, so if you're with a woman who's taller, you have to become energetically bigger to still create the polarity in the relationship. And if you're with a woman that, that makes more than you, you're going to have to be energetically bigger in the relationship to counter that uh, disruption to the natural polarity of the, of the relationship. So those are some of the thoughts that I have on, on being a provider. So a big uh, interest and theme in my work is jealousy. And I don't think you spoke about this in the book. I could be wrong. I don't recall seeing anything like that. Has jealousy ever been uh, an issue for you? And yeah. if so, how, how have you dealt with that? Yeah. Jealousy is painful. That's for sure. So I'll, I'll offer two things. Um, one is that if there's a real reason for you to have jealousy, like if your woman is crossing boundaries, you need to put a stop to that immediately. Like don't tolerate irresponsible behavior that's creating jealousy. So if your woman is crossing lines, um, you, need to, you need to understand your own boundary and lay that boundary down. And for me, um, my rule in relationship is you're not creating, um, some people call it intrigue, that's somebody else's word, but you know, you're not creating uncertainty in other men's minds about whether you're available or not you know, to play with that and kind of enjoy that. that. That doesn't happen. Everybody knows where you stand. You can go out and talk to whoever you want, but you don't purposely create uncertainty about your sexual availability. And so that's my boundary, and I set that in relationship. And um, so if there's, a, if there's an, a, an, an actual reason why you're feeling jealous because there's inappropriate behavior on your woman's part, set a boundary. Now, having said that, there's a lot of behavior that's short of true irresponsibility and uh, I just think you have to be out with it. You know, it's just like, I just want to, you know, I just saw you talking to that guy and I just want to go kill him. I want to go take a, put a knife in his neck. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't know what to say, baby, you're mine. And so it's one, just owning that and just being out with it because the more you hold it in, man, it gets weird. It gets really weird. Cause you're just going to go into the cold shoulder and you're not going to talk to her on the way home. She's going to say, you know, what's wrong. And then, 
it just gets weird. So, you know, you got to be out with it and you got to be uh, really out with it. You can make a game of it. You know, you can, you can have some humor about the whole thing, but just, just be out with it. And you can wrap it up in, in something that I think you probably know about Zachary, having worked with David, but you can wrap it up in claiming her. I haven't worked with him. I've just been reading his books and following. Okay. All right. But you, you know of his work. Um, you can wrap it up in also claiming her. So women, I mean, most feminine loves to be claimed. You know, they know that you've considered them, you know, that they're your woman. And so it's like my intolerance of her flirting with other guys is just because you're mine. Like, you're my woman. And everybody needs to know that, you know, so you're claiming her, which can often feel good to the feminine. So, you know, you could really make art of jealousy uh, or you can make a big stinking mess of it. So <laughs> I think those are some of my nuances on how to, how to do one and not the other. Yeah. I mean, this is maybe might be considered an advanced um, practice, but I mean, you can even go to a bar with your woman and purposely give her some space and kind of watch other guys circling and, <laughs> you know, that energy and then later you can take her home and have a, a whole bunch of fun so yeah you can i like that that's well put make art with uh, with your jealousy that's that's very well put yeah. so looking looking forward in your in your life and in your professional life and hopefully in some kind of post-quarantine world what are you most excited about right now what what's motivating you mm. Well, I, I don't know if this is if you want a long term or a short term answer, but one of the things that I've been getting in touch with and, and getting getting ref, uh, validated by so many women that I talk to is the most attractive uh, way of being uh, or the most attractive quality in a man for a lot of these women is when they, they a man who brings both the heart and the primal, the dark and the light at the same time. You know, if it's all dark, if it's all primal and it's kind of like totally just alpha male, like it's cool for a while. And then at some point the woman's like, ah, you know, this has no substance. Whereas if it's all hard, then it starts, it's, it's great at first, but then it kind of starts to feel a little new agey wimp. And then they're like, well, I love the heart, but you know, I'm not turned on, you know, after a while. So it's really, it's like, how do you combine that primal, that animal, that dark energy, that dominance with deep heart, deep care, deep, uh, stewardship of the connection between the two of us like when a man can put those together like you're unstoppable you are uniquely attractive to most feminine and so i've been putting together a a, a weekend course uh for this and i'm i'm 2020 I'll, it'll come out in 2020 and uh, i'm really excited to put this out because i think this is the, the vital work that that men need and i think they can kind of get dark over here and light over here, but to put it all together, I think, in a coherent picture for these men and, and set of practices is something I'm really excited about doing. Yeah, that's that's really intriguing and I, I completely agree you need both. Yeah, that's that's sounds very very interesting project. Well uh Gregory, what's the best way people can connect with you online? Yeah, go to the website gsyoungblood.com. Uh you can you you see the the book on there. Of course you can find it on Amazon. Um, you can see a lot of videos that I've done on various topics. You can hear a little bit about my coaching. And, uh, and then if you sign up for the, for the mailing list, obviously you'll hear about new offerings that come out. So that's the best way to do it. On Facebook, we've got the Masculine in Relationship Discussion Group. And then I have my own GS Youngblood page. And, and those are great ways to connect with, with other men in the community as well. Well, Gregory, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, Zachary. I appreciate it. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Humans in Love. If you'd like to learn more about my guests, my work, or you'd like to listen to back episodes of the podcast, please visit humansinlove.com. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Humans in Love using your podcast app of choice. If you're a fan of Humans in Love and you'd like to help keep the show going and help me spread the word, please take 30 seconds out of your day to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Before I let you go, remember that life is short, so let's make it count. And thank you, as always, for your listenership and support. I'll talk to you again very soon.